Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. In just a moment, we're going to stand. We actually have a lengthy passage of Scripture that we're going to investigate, and we're going to do this in a um, responsive reading format. And so uh, if you uh, need a handout this morning, just raise your hand there in the balcony or main floor. Wow, what great attendance we have this morning. Thank you so much for being here. It is great to see uh, those who are visiting. Thank you. No matter how you were invited or found us on the internet, the method, I'm thankful that you're here nonetheless. I also would like to say uh, just uh, for our parents and grandparents, the Bible has something to say about honoring our elders. And may we never, ever get tired of recognizing those who have gone on before us and have served well. And this is a great teaching opportunity for our younger folks, too, to realize that there are some folks who have, who have gone on and served in this ministry for many, many years. And we would not be here having this ministry without their service. And I am so thankful for the many of those in our older congregation who have faithfully served. Thank you, and we are blessed by you. Um, here in Mark chapter 9, we have a story that takes place toward the end uh, of the ministry of Jesus. He and his, his inner circle, that was Peter, James, and John, they're having a, a meeting. And they've come down from Mount Hermon where the Lord had, had shown them his glory. He was uh, transfigured before them. And so this is the backdrop of the passage of Scripture that we're going to read. And so that's in Mark chapter number 9. We're going to read verses 14 through 29. We're going to do this responsibly. So let's stand together. You're going to read the even verses, and you're going to follow along with Pastor Jonathan. As he, as he uh, leads us, you'll read beginning in verse number 14. So follow him. I'll read the odd verses this morning. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnashed with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowing foaming. And he asked his father, Is it a go since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child? And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. 
Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thy my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. When he had come to his house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? That's a very important question the disciples asked. Why could not we cast him out? Verse 29, And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Would we read verse 29 together? Together. And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Father, it's been a great morning already. Our spirits are encouraged. The enthusiasm from the people being here is evident. We've honored. We've sang back to you. Now, fathers, we open our hearts to the preaching of thy word. May we learn something, some disciplines when it comes to this topic of prayer and fasting. Would you help me to be able to be focused and to speak succinctly in only words that you approve in Jesus' name? Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. When they came down from the mountain, they found the other disciples. That was the other nine disciples. And they were in some type of heated dispute with a crowd over a boy who had a mute spirit and was obviously a demon, had a, a demon, some type of demon possession. And the young boy's father stepped forward and described how this demon had affected his son in verse number 18. And he said, I speak to the disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus asked that young man be brought to him, and that's the passage of Scripture that we read. And he even asked the father some additional questions, and he said, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And the man gave the classic answer, Lord, I believe Help thou mine unbelief. And Jesus, he showed his power. And the scripture passage that we just read, he commanded that evil spirit to come out of the boy. And later, the disciples came to him privately, the Bible says, uh, apart from all the mass of people. And they asked the Lord, why, why is it that we can't cast demons out? Why is it that we didn't have the ability to do that? And Jesus said, we all read it together, it's only by prayer and fasting. And Jesus used this incident to teach his disciples that two of the most important disciplines in all of the Christian life are prayer and fasting. Now let's springboard from this introductory passage of Scripture, and now you can turn to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6, and what is a reminder in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is this lengthy sermon that Jesus preached, referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, gives clear instruction on both of these issues. And let's see if you recognize this passage of Scripture this morning, often referred to as the Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer. 
The Bible says, after this manner, in verse number 9, Therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. How many of you have ever read that or said that? That should be all of us. We're all familiar with this uh, prayer. The Jews to whom Jesus preached had forgotten their spiritual heritage. You see, the Old Testament gives us many examples of the power of prayer and fasting. Let me give you a couple of those examples. Abraham's servant prayed and Rebekah, Isaac's wife, to be appeared. Jacob prayed and the Bible says literally wrestled with God all night and God turned his brother Esau's bitter spirit into one of love and reconciliation. Moses prayed and Amalek was struck down. The Bible says that Hannah prayed and God gave her Samuel as a son from her barren womb. The Bible says that Isaiah and Hezekiah prayed in 12 hours uh, some 185,000 Assyrians were slain because of their prayer. Oh, if we were to springboard into the New Testament and go to James chapter number 5, let me just uh, share with you this passage of Scripture. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And the Bible says he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Now, verse 16 is a verse that we often refer to. It says this, the effectual Fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So I want you to follow close with me this morning as we look at the disciplines that Jesus was teaching his disciples here on this topic of prayer and fasting. Here's discipline number one, the accurate method to pray. There is an accurate method to pray. Um, and, and all of us, in some manner, we pray. Some of you, your prayer life is simple as you just simply thank God for your food at lunchtime and dinner time. Others of you, you actually spend a great deal of time in prayer. There is a method to pray. But prayer must not be an empty repetition. It must not be an empty repetition. As part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave us here the pattern for prayer. And this passage that we just read is called the Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer. And here's the thing. As I break this down, I, I see here that we have a blueprint for our prayer life. If you were going to build a house today, you would have a set of blueprints or a set of plans. And if you were going to take a cross-country trip, you would have a, a map of the different highways and the towns and the hotels and, and where you were going to eat. And as we study this morning, over the next few minutes, the model prayer, I want you to think of it as a map, as a blueprint that teaches us how to pray. Do you realize we have grandparents here, and we have parents here, and we have children here, and we have brothers here, and we have sisters here, we have church members here. We have a lot of different combinations, and the fact is that every one of us, we are to pray. Jesus said this, after this manner, therefore, 
pray. In other words, when you pray, pray along these lines. Pray like this. Remember back in verse number 7, the Lord warned us not to use vain repetitions. That is something you say over and over again uh, that is empty. Jesus did not give us this prayer that we might vainly repeat it over and over again. In fact, um, the Bible it, uh, teaches us that 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 we are to pray in our own way. We're to talk to God as if it's a conversation. The New Testament, we do not find that prayers repeated and used in a vain, empty, repetitious manner, that there's magic words. There are no magic words. It's a conversation with God. The model prayer is not... A genie in the bottle, and you rub the bottle, and the genie comes out, and the genie does our bidding. It's not that. The model prayer is not a magic formula that you mix like a potion, and, and you have to do it perfectly, and you memorize it, and you, uh, and you have to repeat that formula over and over. That's not what Jesus is talking about. I'd like for all of you to look up here for just a moment. Can we just be transparent and honest with each other? We all struggle in this area of prayer. We all probably think we don't do it perfect or, or right or did we say the right words or, or, or did I miss something and, 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 and I've prayed 10, 12 minutes to start my day and did I miss something along the way and, 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 and something bad's going to happen because I didn't pray the exact right prayer. May I just tell you it's not a magic potion or formula, but here's what it is. It's an action where I literally talk to my Heavenly Father. Um, I add personal words of worship and praise and adoration and gratitude and request. And the model prayer is not given as a substitute for our own prayers. It's given as a guide for our prayers. I think all of us could be helped this morning as we look at how, how to pray. And maybe this week there could be some depth in our prayer life. So let me give you some things. Prayer must always focus on the Father. The focus of our prayer is our Heavenly Father. Jesus said this, Our Father which art in heaven. Now we don't talk that way. We would probably say, Dear Heavenly Father, we just recognize that He is in heaven. Uh, when we address the God of all creation, the Bible says we're to refer to Him as our Father. And so it's appropriate to say, dear Heavenly Father, I'm recognizing who I'm talking to. Today, I sometimes hear people pray to Jesus. Now, be careful here. I do not ever see in all of Scripture that we're to pray to Jesus. Oh, Pastor, what did you just say? I cannot find a single verse in all of the Bible that says that I'm to pray to Jesus. The example of prayer comes from Jesus. And he taught the disciples to pray. And whenever Jesus prayed, he always addressed his heavenly Father. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 tells us that Jesus is the mediator. He's the, the lawyer. He's the advocate between man and God. Between woman and God. So I don't pray to Jesus. I'm praying to the Heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit that lives within me delivers that prayer to Jesus. Jesus then adjudicates. He is between us. He's our high priest. He helps us. But I don't pray to Jesus. When you pray, picture 
God as a father who carefully listens to his children. And by the way, this implies several truths. Because God is our father, he will be completely faithful to us. Because God is our father, he will give us unconditional love. Because God is our father, he will never leave or forsake us. And because God is our father, we are the heirs to all the riches of heaven. Because God is our father, he will supply our every need. And because God is our father, guess what? He will listen when we speak to him. And because God is our father, He always welcomes us home, even when we stray from Him. Has anyone ever strayed? He welcomes you back. Jesus also teaches that our Father is in heaven. Literally, this means He is is in the heavens in the plural sense. God is omnipresent. He's transcendent. He's imminent. I like to say He's ubiquitous, which means He's equally present everywhere. God is equally present in the galaxies far from our own solar system. And yet, He is closer than my next breath. Jesus says here of the Father, hallowed be thy name. Now, this is, now let's just be a little honest here. How many of you use the word hallowed this week? I mean, it's just part right on the tip of your tongue. You regularly use the word hallowed. I don't see a single hand. Hallowed is an archaic, out-of-date English word that's translated from the same Greek root word which we get the word holy or saint or sanctified. Thus, it might well read this, holy is your name. Uh, And that's who we're praying to is our Heavenly Father who is holy. 1 Peter 1 and verse 16, uh, the Lord says to all of us, be ye holy for I am holy. We have to work at being holy. However, God is holy. His character is holy. He is always holy. And when we pray to the Father, we should come before Him uh, uh, not only with the intimacy as a child, but also with a reverence and an awe of His holy name. That's why it just gives me the heebie-jeebies. It makes me uncomfortable when someone says this, Oh my God. Because my heavenly Father's holy, he's not vain, he's not trite, and his name should not be used as a swear word. The Bible says in Psalm 9 and verse 10, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Psalm 7, verse 17, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm 20, and verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. May I just tell you, his name is holy. And we should treat it with reverence and awe. Prayer desires for the end result to be God's will. Prayer, the reason I'm praying is, is the end result is that of that prayer is that it, it, it will be known what's God's will for my life. Jesus said to the Roman governor Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. For now, Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. For now, Jesus' kingdom is in the hearts of men and, and women. But, but the scripture tells us today is coming when the kingdom of God will be a physical kingdom. And Jesus himself is going to sit on a throne, a little 14-acre plot of land, a place called Jerusalem, and more specifically on Temple Mount. 
And Jesus is coming back one day to sit on a physical throne. And at that time, he's going to rule and reign. And guess who's going to rule and reign with him? To pray, thy kingdom come, is to say that our focus is not on our temporary needs and desires, but it's on God's sovereign plan for humanity. I'm distressed by what I see happening in Israel and what I see happen in the Gaza Strip. But God has a plan. And I have to trust his plan. And it's all pointing to this. Jesus is coming back. To pray thy will be done means that you want God's will to be your own will. Please catch that this morning. When you pray, you are praying that God's will will become your will, not the other way around. We often tell God what we want, and we expect God to bend and make our will His will. But when I pray, I'm praying that God's will will become my will, and it means that you're willing to give up anything that is not part of what God wants for your life. These sounds like simple words I understand this morning, but to use them as a pattern for prayer will revolutionize your spiritual life. God, I want your will to be known, and I'm willing to follow your will. Now, obviously, prayer expresses our needs. That's why I go to my Heavenly Father. That's why I'm talking to Him. Yes, I express gratitude, but I'm also expressing some needs. We have needs. Jesus said, we have a need for daily bread. Bread symbolizes the basics. We're talking about needs here, not once. He does not say, give us daily cake, give us a daily seven-course meal. Daily bread in 2000, the time period of 2,000 years ago symbolized everything necessary for surviving. That's food and clothing and a roof over your head. We have a need, the Bible says, for forgiveness of debts. What bread is to the physical soul, forgiveness is, or what bread is to the physical body, forgiveness is to the soul. And when we sin, we're building up a a sin debt. And prayer means asking God to forgive us our debts and then being willing to forgive our debtors, those who have sinned against us. How many of you this morning can say someone has offended you in this life? That's all of us. We've all been offended, and and I hope that I haven't, but it's it's completely possible that I've offended you, and I'm unaware of it if I am, uh, and I am unaware of it because I've tried to keep my accounts short. But if I've offended you, I'm sorry. Please let me know, and I'll make it right. The fact is, all of us have been offended, and some of us, we have mortal enemies, and we're not willing to forgive them. And Jesus said here that we're to forgive our debtors, and that means those who have sinned against us. We have a need for deliverance from evil. And many people have uh, pondered the meaning of Jesus' words and do not lead us into temptation. Why would God say that? He's holy. His name is hallowed. It's saintly. Why would God, who hates sin, lead his people to be tempted by sin? I think it's a fair question. Well, James 1, verse 13, gives us the answer. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Some have suggested this means do not lead us uh, uh, to a test. Why would God not lead us to a test? James 1, verse 3 says, The trying of your faith worketh patience. God wants our faith to grow through tests. So we will go through storms. He will allow us to go through some tests. And it's to strengthen us as Christians. I believe this means do not allow us to be overwhelmed 
by temptation or test. Help us not to give in to a temptation or, or test. That makes sense with the, with the plea, deliver us from evil, Jesus said. A commentator has said most people want to be delivered from temptation, but would like to keep in touch. Prayer surrenders our will to his will. The reason I pray is that prayer surrenders our will to his will. We begin our prayer with praise to the holiness of our Father, and we end it by surrendering all the kingdom and the power and the glory of the Lord forever, the Bible says. And when you pray these words, you are surrendering every part of your will to God's will. Let me take you to a story in the Old Testament. David he said this in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 and 11. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. My friend, may I just bluntly say, this is God's world, and he allows us to live in it. And therefore, it would behoove us to find out what his will is for us to live in this world. And not try to manufacture our own will. Well, I want you to notice this next point, because this is the one that we all struggle with. We, we, you're all with me to this point. But this next one is one that gives us pause, because we don't like this one. Prayer must include forgiveness, even for your enemies. Prayer must include forgiveness, even for your enemies. Jesus said, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. These two verses are a, a postscript uh, to the model prayer in verse 14 and verse 15 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus stops to say, oh, and, and disciples, one more thing about forgiveness. First, we need to know that forgiving others endears us to the heart of God. When we're able to forgive others, after we have been offended, we are God loves us even more. Well, I mean, God's love is, God can't really love us more. He just loves us unconditionally, but we're endeared to the heart of God. God loves for those who forgive men their trespasses. Forgive here means to hurl away, be like a Joseph and a Stephen and a Moses. And secondly, we see we need to know that if we are unforgiving, God will be unforgiving with us. My, oh my, who in your life have you not forgiven? Oh, their name, their face just popped into your brain. That's a sign that you haven't forgiven them. And the Bible is clear. If we are unforgiving, in chapter 6 and verse number 14, God will be unforgiving to us. God said in 1 Peter, again, in uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, Be ye holy, for I am holy. We are not acting in holiness. We are not acting like God if we have an unforgiving spirit towards someone else. And part of every prayer you pray should be the forgiveness of others who have offended you. It is okay to ask God to remove those bitter feelings that are eating away at you. So I say this morning that we should 
understand that there is an accurate uh, method to our prayer life. I want you to notice the second discipline this morning. The second dip, uh, discipline is this. There is an accurate method to fasting. There's an accurate method to fast. Now, we have spoken of fasting before. We even have called for a prayer and fast uh, before. Um, but Jesus in our, uh, teaches about this, and it's right in line uh, uh, with what we're talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. And so I want you to notice a couple of things. Fasting is a great discipline for all believers. It's a discipline. You have to make yourself fast. Verse 16, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. I'd like, if you're there in Matthew chapter 6, would you look specifically with me there in verse number 16? I want you to notice something. Maybe you um, can mark in your Bibles and underline this word. Jesus did not say, if you fast. I want you to notice what he said. In verse 16 and verse 17, he says, when you fast. That little word there, moreover, when you fast. It's not an if. Throughout Scripture, we have many examples of faithful followers of God who fasted as they prayed. Listen to these people that the Bible says fasted. Moses and Samson and Samuel, Hannah and David and Elijah and Ezra and Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel, Anna, John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus, the Apostle Paul. They all give testimony when they fasted. And the issue is fasting is never commanded. In the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, the Hebrew people, they had this national fast. However, we're not commanded to hold this national fast in the New Testament church. And though fasting is not commanded, it's an example given to us to be used in a voluntary, non-compulsory manner. Let me say it this way. Fasting helps me to dedicate a day to prayer for some situation or some decision. Oftentimes, I would take a day... And I will fast, sun up to sundown, and I don't announce it. I don't tell anyone. I just don't go to lunch that day. Um, I, I'll drink uh, water uh, throughout the day because during the, the, uh, the, that portion of the day, I am fasting and I am in a continual attitude of prayer. The Bible even says this, pray without ceasing, a continual attitude of prayer. And I'm doing that so that I can perhaps understand God's will for my life and how I am to play into that, that my will can be conformed to God's will. Now, oftentimes the Pharisees fasted to be seen of others. Jesus even gives example of that. Jesus said explicitly, be not as the hypocrites. Or we could use pretenders there. Again, he was taking a shot at the religious bigots. He said they have a sad countenance, which means a gloomy face. They had a pious religious look. I don't even know how to do that, but I think some here may know how to do that. They tried to look spiritual. In fact, Jesus said they would disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. The idea is that they put on pale makeup so that they would look weak with hunger so that people would think that they're truly spiritual uh, uh, as they were fasting. 
I've seen some Christian people look, look and act the same way. They're long-faced, and it looks like they could eat corn out of a Coke bottle. Some people think that they look holy if they always look a certain way. May I just say, there's everything today. In churches today, there's messy hair and wrinkled clothes and lack of deodorant and scuffed up shoes. And there's people that dress in suits and ties and, and dresses. And some people think this group is holy and some people think this group is holy. Here's what I say. Knock it off. God is concerned with the heart, not the wardrobe. The Pharisees were religious show-offs. They loved the spotlight or the limelight, and they loved to be noticed, and they loved to be applauded, and, 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 and people would, would, would clap and marvel at, at these Pharisees who would fast. And Jesus' counsel is, do not be like them. He even said this, remember, they have their reward. So here's my counsel for all of us today. When you fast, fast to be seen only by God. When you fast... Fast to be seen only by God. Jesus said, anoint thy head, wash thy face. And in our culture, that means this. Take a shower, shave, put on some makeup, dress the way you always dress, look normal. And when you fast, you, you don't call attention to yourself. Jesus said that you should not appear to men to be fasting. No one should know but you and God. So why do I fast? Fasting is about simplicity. It has, it's about focusing totally on Jesus and what he has done and my heavenly father in heaven. And it never has to be promoted and bragged about and openly displayed. Remember what Jesus said. They have their reward. So if I announce to you that, hey, tomorrow I'm going to be fasting and I want you to be impressed that for a whole day I'm going to go without food. I just want you to know that. That's ridiculous. I've just gotten my reward. That is the accolades of man. The reason I fast is to deprive myself to be reminded of this. Jesus said this, the Father, which is in secret, will see. And he sees what I do in secret. And then he says he's going to reward me openly. In other words, God will see our secret devotion to him. And God knows when no one else knows. And he rewards our dedicated prayers. Do you know that God's the only one that can answer most of your prayers? So therefore, why don't I do it the way God wants me to do it? And that is, is that I talk to him as my heavenly father, understanding that Jesus Christ is the high priest and he's ever making intercession between me and God. And so I talk to my heavenly father and Jesus, because of what he's done for me, he says, heavenly father, Brent has this need. I think we should help him. And he adjudicates and he helps that. He helps that. And, and God, the father in heaven says, let's take care of that. Or sometimes he says, no, that's not what I want in Brent's life right now. And Brent has to accept the fact that my will must become his will. I'm trying to know and find the will of God. Folks, could I just say this? Quit treating God as your butler, servant. Quit demanding of God what you want and talk to him as your heavenly father. When you pray, make the father the focus not your request. And when you fast, make it private, not public. 
That's all your notes. You can put up your notes here. I've got to to finish with an illustration. You can put up your notes. You can close your Bibles. We're almost finished. I'd like to recognize something this morning. And that is, is that the Our paradigm of our Heavenly Father has often been created by what we view our earthly father. Has anyone had a perfect earthly father? No, I don't see any hands. The reality is is that when I grew up, I grew up and my early years was in an unsaved home. And I saw things and experienced things and heard things that that I shouldn't have had because I had an unsaved, ungodly mother and father. And if I allow that to be how I view my heavenly father, then then I could be put off by that. I also grew up in a home in West Virginia where I had to put myself through college. My mom and dad were unable whether by choice or or reality, they were unable to help put me through college. Uh, uh, 35 to 40 hour work week, go to class, study, do all the things I needed to do in college. And that's not woe is me. Here's my illustration, is that if my paradigm is the fact that my, my earthly parents were unable to help me during that time of need, then I can have a skewed vision of my heavenly father. Here's what I've learned is that my Heavenly Father helped give me a job that allowed me to put myself through school. And my Heavenly Father gave me the strength and the ability to be able to do my classes in spite of the fact that there was not financial support from my earthly parents. Now, there's some of you that you don't even know your earthly father. He abandoned you, didn't want any part of your life, You were adopted. You have no idea who your earthly father is. And if that's your paradigm of how you view the heavenly father, then it's going to be skewed. And some of you, you are, uh, you you have a a a an earthly father that abused you physically, emotionally, or in some other way. And so when I say that, you ought to understand that there is a tender heavenly father that wants you to worship him and wants you to obey him and wants you to do his will you say forget you dude do you want to understand what my earthly father is like i want to beg you for just a moment to set aside your view of your earthly father and understand that jesus said our father which art in heaven holy is his name And then he goes on to say that he wants to meet our needs. And he wants us, he he wants us to be fulfilled and happy. He wants that for us. But sometimes we just simply refuse to pray because of our earthly paradigm of our earthly father. I beg you, I beg you this morning to renew your prayer life. And as needed, when needed, your fasting life and see if God would not make a huge difference in your life. And it might even be that the reason that your prayers are going unanswered at this moment is because you're not willing to obey what Jesus said. Forgive. 
Forgive your enemies. Forgive those who have trespassed against you. Forgive those who have hurt you. And because you have failed to forgive, that is a roadblock between you and God and Him answering your prayers and Him helping you understand He has a will for your life. As your pastor, there's a lot of unfulfilled people in our congregation. Hurting people. I am so thankful for this passage of Scripture that's just a couple weeks before Christmas. Now's the time to talk to the Lord and make it right. Lord, forgive me for holding this grudge against whatever that group, that name, names that are there. Forgive me for being selfish and demanding what you should do in my life. And Father, help me to do your will and not my will. As I've thought about this, and as I've tried to enact it in my own life, it's been something that's been amazing and sweet, and it's changed my prayer life. And there's situations that have hurt and things that have happened in my life that through the course of my 58 years that I've had to just let go of. And God's given me the grace to do that. And he'll do it for you too. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Today's message is kind of personal because it is a call for you to do what Jesus said in the model prayer.